Hi, this is John and Hannah. Hello. Welcome back to Red Dice Diaries RPG podcast. It's Wednesday and we're doing top 10 tips for using languages in games. I came up with this idea from watching the Hermitcraft server on YouTube. Total waste of time, but, you know, guilty pleasures. For anyone who's not aware of that, that's a Minecraft YouTube channel. They have many different people playing Minecraft from all over the world. Several of the members of the Hermitcraft server have uh, not English as their first language. I'm not entirely sure what the first language of some of them is. All right, okay. I know they've got at least one German and at least one Swede. Over... The last few weeks, obviously, they've been putting out an awful lot of content because nobody's had anything else to do. So I've noticed that there's been, like, various different things have come up with, like, little things that have made for quite an entertaining bit of uh, footage on their server and thus could presumably make for an entertaining bit in a game where there's been little things going on with languages and it got me onto thinking about this. So, tip number one, accents. You're really good at this, love. I wouldn't say I'm um, really good at it. I've got I've got a few accents I can do passably <laughs> that I, that I can do in slightly different tones of voice. So I sort of reuse a lot of them. Yeah, it's it, a really good way for filling out a character very quickly to use an accent, and it helps you to stay in character, and it helps people to know that you are in character. Plus, as well, it doesn't matter if your accent's like not one hundred percent accurate, and it's a bit crappy. That's all part of the fun of like a game. You're not trying to represent anyone, like an actual person. You're just trying to differentiate that NPC a bit from the other NPCs. That's it. So that moves me on to number two: local dialects. There's little local words that can cause misunderstandings, and the UK is particular for this because English has been developing in all these little bubbles for so long. Yeah. We've got loads of different like phrases, different words, different uses around the country. And cob is the one that springs to mind. Surely you mean bap? Or balm cake. Or batch. Or bun. All of which is a way <laughs> of saying bread roll for anyone who's not aware of all these like ridiculous different names. I was going to say, cop, as, John. I was going to say as well. Now, obviously, in the modern world, because of like global communications, or whatever, these sort of dialects are getting a bit phased out. But especially in like D and D, where like one village might have, people might have never travelled to like a village a few miles away, you can really make them seem different by giving them odd little words. Yeah, and it it's just another way to expand on your world. Oh yeah. Um, the same with small local sayings. Um, things that you don't hear in other areas and this is something that's become very diluted in the English language we don't really do it much anymore as you were saying stories about like a local legend and phrases that come from it for example in Dartmouth people are quite familiar with the phrase don't let the hairy hands get you because there's a myth out there about the hairy hands of Dartmouth Whereas, is, that, is that the phantasmal hand that appears like grabs your steering is, wheel? It is. It's the one that Josh Widdicombe Josh always talks about. But before Josh Widdicombe started talking about it, no one outside of Dartmouth knew about it. Um, similarly, 
there's you can come up with little phrases for the places in your D and D world or your other campaign worlds mm-hmm. that just like make it that bit more unique to your world. Just another way to flesh out your game. So then we're getting on to actually using language within the game, like different ways you can represent two people that are speaking different languages. Okay. And what I should have mentioned during point one, the uh, accents point, is uh, you remember the old sitcom, Hello, Hello, where... Of course I do, (laughs) René, René. If someone was speaking French, they'd speak English with a dodgy French accent. If they were speaking German, they'd speak English with a dodgy German German accent. If they were speaking English, they'd speak English with a dodgy English accent. And so on and so forth. And it was a really good way to represent it. And I've seen people do this in games a couple of times. And it just fleshes out that story that bit more that bit more and it also allows the players that their character doesn't speak the language but they can still hear the conversation they're still in on the game right but that brings me around to point number 4 which is hand signals and gesture language so if you don't want to do something like the accents trick and you don't want to be using actual different languages which I'll get onto in a minute you could consider doing some sort of hand gesture language and obviously some people do speak sign language and you can still speak sign language over video conference if you're not there in person yeah I mean gestures are useful as well because like if what I'll quite often use is if I'm playing like a professor or a sage or something like that because I wear glasses, I might sort of like constantly like push my glasses up onto my face because you think like the bespectacled sort of research and then you're peering at his scrolls. Oh yeah, these are not necessarily language, but like indicators of what type yeah, of character exactly. you're doing. And by acting out those little gestures, again, you're fleshing your character out that bit more. Hmm. Uh, one of our friends used to like doing like a grunty noise for his barbarian every hmm. time he spoke. <coughs> Yeah, you know the guy. Um, but also, hand gestures are really um, easy to convey simple concepts like friend or food or danger. But an abstract concept's a lot, lot more difficult to express. Like, uh, how do you explain to someone on the other side of the room how to defuse a trap? without speaking because the sound will be triggered the trap will be triggered by sound that's true that's quite an interesting little puzzle how do you explain to someone that for some other reason can't hear you what's going on when it's a complicated thing and most of the time all you need to do is either put your finger to your lips for shh or indicate danger and the way away from it and then you can like go and do some D&D magic or put them in the med bay or whatever and it's solved but it could be an interesting sort of thing to have to get around for a little bit of a game so point five is writing (laughs) hello hello phantom are you a good girl 
did you notice that I'd messed it up and we were going to have to edit it anyway? So being able to speak a language and being able to read that language are two very different things. Same with writing it. And writing it, indeed. And you can go into a lot of interesting props with, like, uh, faux language, and I'll go into that in a moment. But sometimes what your player group needs is an interesting side story where they go off and talk to someone and get them to translate the writing on the magical ring, for example. If you put a language barrier in for the players, there needs to be a reason for it and a way for them to solve it. So, uh, So number six is codes and puzzles. And this is like almost the opposite of that. Some players love a code puzzle to break, uh, anything like that. And it's nice to give it to them now and then. And it's also a cool way to keep the game going between sessions. So you can give your players a prop with some runes or elven writing or whatever and like a small key for it and then end a session now they've got a week to solve it which keeps them thinking about the game until the next time and how far they've got along is going to affect how the game goes next time Mm -hmm. maybe you could put into the first half of that story some like methods by which they can more easily translate the thing you know couple of extra parts to the key or whatever and then that would determine how much they've got to be able to break that code with uh, struck me as an interesting idea that's oh, pretty cool um, so number seven is the one that you pointed out which is magical languages rhyming couplets work very well for if you want to like represent a spell but Magical languages just sound more dramatic and more interesting. Well, yeah, I mean, obviously you've got like the black speech that was on the ring in Lord of the Rings. Yeah. When they sort of read that out, and it, like, everything gets darker, and it's like, a big, like, booming sort of corrupt mm-hmm. language. Or, obviously, you've got your mystic chanting in Cthulhu, and yeah. you can get recordings of that. There's loads on YouTube. There's probably loads in other places in the free domain. If all else fails, just like record someone talking normally in a big, deep, booming voice and then play it backwards. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but there's a reason why J.K. Rowling's magic sounds a lot more convincing than the charmed ones. Well, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Writing talent mainly. So, number eight is get people to show off their real life language skills and use your own real life language skills. It doesn't matter whether you've got like half a dozen stop phrases in one language from high school or you've like a multilingual badass like Lloyd. <laughs> I mean, how many languages does he speak? I don't, I don't even know. But he makes use of it in his games and it really works. And if you've got players that speak many languages, uh, it can also be a nice little treat for them if you've got a player who's like maybe english isn't their first language you can put a puzzle in that's in their language none of the other players are going to get it before they do it's something to help keep people in the game if they are struggling with a second language 
I know certainly when I've run online games and I've had American players and they've struggled to keep up with some of the conversation, particularly when we've got like three Northerners and an American player and you have to like stop and do a bit of translating. It's just a nice way to keep people in the game. Number nine is uh, to use Google Translate or a similar program to help you with languages that you don't speak already and to help you like find the actual material to put into this. And I've got a little note here that says Traduka ilyo ji muhmeh loh kosasis which means I use Traduka for my translations in a lot of my current game. I'm guessing that's Klingon. <laughs> yes, uh, they have the Klingon to English translator. There's another website that has a Klingon to Vulcan translator. Obviously, Google Translate has quite a few different things. For, for sort of fantasy, particularly Tolkien as well, there's plenty of like Elven and sort of yeah. Orc translators and I'm stuff like that. I'm pretty sure Google Translate does Dothraki. All right, OK. Yeah. Um, the, there's loads of them. Make use of them. They're great. Even if all you do is drop some text into it and then drop it into... Uh, that's the other thing I should mention, that you can get fonts for text writing for all the Tolkien languages. Yeah, there's some wicked the, Cthulhu rune fonts as well. Man. Yeah, all that kind of stuff. You just need to put in RPG fonts on Google search or whatever search engine you want to use and you will find stuff. It's just another nice way to flesh things out a bit. Yeah, and like and you it, say, with your translators, it's not like you have to put together something perfectly. It's just an yeah, approximation of it, isn't it? It's a prop to help you expand your game that little bit and this is where point number 10 comes in which is don't make a barrier you don't want the language barrier is an interesting obstacle to explore as a player group however once you've built a bridge across the river there is no point in forcing the player characters to wade through it every session once they've like got past it to a certain degree unless you've got multilingual group who are still struggling with the actual language barrier, then there's no reason to keep putting it in there as part of your game unless it's important to the story. Yeah, you want it to be a feature of your game rather than something that's going to cause frustration yeah, to your players. Yeah, a feature, not a bug. Yeah. And don't concentrate so hard on it that you alienate your player group. Don't overdo the stereotypes and alienate your player group that way don't cut out people who can't quite follow out that language stuff that you're doing and if you're there doing it right everyone will have fun if people aren't having fun with it maybe it's not something for your player group indeed and i think on that bombshell that's the end of this episode top 10 tips on using language in rpgs Thank you very much. We hope you've enjoyed the episode. If you want to get in touch with us, you can leave us a voicemail message on SpeakPipe. There's a link in the show notes. Or you can email us. The email address is rdrpgpodcast at gmail.com. We really do enjoy listening to and answering your voicemails. So thank you very much for listening. Until we see you again, stay safe, have fun, and keep gaming. We'll see you soon. 
Bah, sorry.